The interviews and discussions in this podcast are opinions only and not financial or investment advice. Listeners should obtain independent advice based on their own circumstances before making any financial decisions. Hi, this is Barry Fitzgerald, Garen Perro columnist for Stockhead. Welcome to another edition of the Explorers podcast. Now, what a difference eight months has made in the lithium market. If we go back to the start of September last year, the listed lithium producers, developers and explorers were struggling for market attention. But it was also a turning point for them. Amongst the producers, we've seen share price gains of 290% for Pilbara Minerals, 137% for Oricobra and 225% for Galaxy, with the last two recently consummating a $4 billion merger. Amongst explorers and developers, we've seen the Democratic Republic of Congo developer, ABZ, surge by 200%. And back here in Australia, we've got Lion Town, a would-be developer, up by 166%. The supercharged share price gains are a clear signal that lithium is back in town. After a couple of years when the price for the key battery material was in the doldrums on fears of oversupply, the lithium price has taken off. The fear now being that the world will run short of the material in 21, 22, 23. Forecasts of electric vehicle penetration rates are now being wound up on a regular basis, with Europe in particular deciding that in a decarbonising and post-COVID world, EVs are the way to go. Today we have found an overlooked lithium stock poised to ride the return of the lithium boom, Prospect Resources. It trades under the code PSC or Papa Sierra Charlie to be sure. At its last sale price of 15 cents a share, it has a market cap of $56 million. Prospect is Perth-based. Its flagship project is the Advanced Arcadia project on the outskirts of Harare in Zimbabwe. The Zimbabwean address will surprise some for sure. But we have a third-generation Zimbabwean and Perth resident to put things in context for us today. Here's Prospect's Managing Director, Sam Hossack. G'day, Sam. Thanks for your time today and welcome to the podcast. Hi, Barry. Thank you for having me. Uh, Sam, we've got a lot to get through. Uh, first up, tell us a bit about your professional background and the history of Arcadia up until this point. Thank you, Barry. Uh, Barry, I um, started my career as, a, as an engineer um, and did a lot of, shall we say, operational work, uh, back-end of projects, optimization. Um, a lot of that work was, was with First Quantum Minerals. They're a copper producer. Um, I started my career in Zambia um, and towards the end it spanned Congo, North Africa, Europe, uh, Australia and Panama. So I got involved and led a number of projects for First Quantum Minerals as the owner's project manager or part of the owner's project management team, uh, ramping up large, medium and some extremely large um, scale projects. Mm. Last project I, I was involved in was a power station and port facility for First Quantum Minerals in Panama, part of the um, $6.8 billion Monero Panama project. So yeah. a huge project, yeah. it took a multi-year project, a lot of, um, a lot of, uh, should we say, a project and development experience acquired through that period. And um, so, so I brought that to Prospect Resources in 2018. Uh, and look to apply that those experiences in Africa mm-hmm. to the Arcadia Lithium Project, which, as you mentioned, is based in Zimbabwe. 
Okay. So the history of Arcadia up until this point? Well, Arcadia has a deep history, actually. It, uh, it, was, um, it was mined for, uh, not for Boron, actually, in the 1950s and has, um, sits on a fairly uh, sizable outcrop mm-hmm. where, um, where we were able to, in 2016 and 17, so sort of prior to my joining, we were able to uh, determine there was, there was high prevalence and, and uh, prospectivity for lithium. A number of strategic holes into the asset found it to be extremely near surface um, and um, continued way beyond the initial exploration target. So it, it was a, a new discovery in the sense that it had previously been known as a boron outcrop, uh, better now understood as a petalite and spodumene pegmatite. Mm. So very material, a global top 10 asset in the hard rock category. And uh, importantly, very near surface. So we'll maybe have a chance to talk about the operating cost base of the project a little later. Mm. The combination of um, spodumene and petalite, uh, unusual in the world scheme? It's certainly very unique. It's it's an opportunity for prospect and for its shareholders. It's certainly um, offers premiums uh, over its, its per lithia basis. Um, so it's not only demanded for its lithium, but also for some of the entrained silicon alumina. So, so Petlite is a, is a premium product in our view. It's sold into the glass ceramic sector, which historically made up around 20% of the lithium consumption globally. Mm. Okay. It's quite a big sector. Mm. Now, Sam, I'm a new age sort of guy. I was just wondering whether you've got any uh, crystallized form of Petlite at the project that you could sell at a premium to those looking for some help in uh, love and yeah. other things. Yeah, well, lithium's obviously um, also got applications and uh, mood regulation, so that, that's certainly not our market, but uh, mm. very welcome to, to have a piece and see what see how it helps. <laughs> right. Now, there is a, um, a DFS on the project, which the company is moving to optimise. What, just stepping back a bit, what were the headline uh, findings of the DFS and what are you expecting from the optimization process? Very good questions. Um, we, we undertook a definitive feasibility in 2019 and the primary um, knowledge that we brought into that feasibility at that stage was the clear understanding of petalite being sold into, into glass ceramic sectors in, in Europe. Mm-hmm. A lot of price discovery. Um, we, we understood where those products were being consumed and by whom. And throughout 2020, um, we entered into a large, uh, in fact, the largest petalite offtake agreement historically with Sibalco, who are have been managing as an industrial minerals player, have been sort of dominating the petalite sales into Europe. So, so historically, our feasibilities um, had a good understanding of the alternate markets for petalite where historically we thought we might just sell it straight into the chemical conversion for battery minerals so we've created a huge amount of optionality since the last dfs some of the headline numbers have had a npv 10 of 710 million dollars and a capex of 163 million dollars for a 2.4 million ton per annum plant so large-scale plant for the lithium sector Mm. And, um, and uh, um, a very competitive um, balance sheet uh, 
largely on the account of the low cost operating cost base for, for our particular um, ore body. So to your question on optimization, there's a number of things that need to be reflected. Firstly, this is a study being undertaken by Lycopodium Minerals. It's, it's independent largely, and we're relying on their deep history and, and knowledge in, in both the lithium sector, but, but also the African junior markets. Yeah. They understand development, they understand the need for risk management, modularization, and certainly efficiencies um, as these media, small to medium projects are built in Africa. So we're expecting the optimized feasibility to have a real strong imprint uh, from Lycopodium Minerals. And secondly, an updated pricing forecast. I yeah. think in 2019, we were looking down the barrel of, of a descending commodity price for, for spodumene and for lithium carbonate. And that's, that's truly um, rebounded now. So, so we'd like to bring some of that knowledge, particularly of our glass ceramics customers. We've been observing that market. We now have an offtake with Sabalka. We now know what the customers uh, historically have paid and, and what they will pay. So a lot of that's going to make its way into the feasibility, um, which, which I think will be very promising. One very clear change, which, which I think um, is really the cornerstone of why we're doing an optimization is, is the staged approach, Barry. So mm. previously we'd looked at going straight to 2.4 million tons per annum, requiring 163 million US dollars of project capital. Now we're looking at a two-stage approach to get to that full nameplate, allowing for a, a, a lower capex initially for stage one and the consequent improvements in ease and getting into into construction and, and therefore into production. So we see it as being quicker, we see it as being easier, and we see it as being a capital hurdle that this project can um, quite easily uh, get over. So those are the fundamental drivers that have triggered um, the revision of the feasibility and, and the, mm. the optimizations I described. Okay. So <clears throat> when do you expect that optimization study to be completed and released? Uh, Barry, we've recently put an update and, and obviously working on our quarterlies at this stage, but we're, we're expecting it in the third quarter of this year. So we've made a lot of progress already to date. And uh, yeah, that's, that's under a very clear schedule and, and budget which which we funded last year um so so this is um it's it's well in hand at this stage all right so come uh, sometime after uh, september quarter the market will have a very good idea of this uh, new two-stage low capex approach you're taking to the project exactly yeah. early days i know but if you can predict the possibility of when you might be in production barry with with a stage approach there's a a possibility to improve the timeline to production from around 18 months down to 14, 15 months, and possibly lower depending how much modularization uh, we can include in the project development. So massive opportunities really. Um, in the event that we complete our funding goals by the end of 2021 for that first stage approach, um, it would be you know 15 months uh, thereafter. Right, okay. Now, you might have answered the question there with, uh, I'm about to ask. I mentioned that since this upturn we've seen in the lithium market, lithium stocks since September last year, Prospect uh, hasn't been swept up in it just yet. 
What do you see as the trigger point for the market to get on board with the Arcadia story and more generally, what's your view of the lithium market from here? Oh, Barry, firstly, most investors in, on the Australian um, exchange and, and in the Australian capital markets you know, have a, a raft of great opportunities for um, home-based producers. So exposure to lithium is, is possible in a number of ways. I think we represent the um, undervalued participants for a number of reasons. Firstly, we're in a difficult jurisdiction, but we're well on our way to proving how confident and how um, how well managed our in-country team are. Mm-hmm. So, so we we think you know we think that the investors need to take confidence from the fact that we operate in a, a difficult climate, or there's a perception of difficulty, but the reality is that we're across it, we're on top of it and can get ahead of it. So that's, a, I think, a key thing that we need to demonstrate in the pilot plant that we're producing or, or constructing now and, and we'll be operating and producing. That's a, a, a clear testament, will be a clear testament of our capabilities. And um, so, so I think there's, there's investor perceptions around jurisdiction and then there's um, investor perceptions around development and, and hitting our goals. We're very focused on keeping our goals quite simple as they are um, described in the pathway to production. They are easy to understand and are, in our opinion, unquestionable in whether we will deliver. We will deliver. And in delivering, I believe, investors grow confident around your capability. So I think we would like to pull together our capabilities this year, show our strong partnerships with Lycopodium Minerals, Mm -hmm. show that whilst we have a perceived risk um, that is um, absolutely doesn't account for um, our current valuations in the market. And uh, so, yeah, we, we're pushing very hard to, to have that reflected more accurately. Mm, okay. Now, I mentioned you were a third-generation Zimbabwean, so I, I guess you know a bit about cricket and rugby and whether the national rugby team will make Rugby Cup 2023. But more to the point today, what can you tell us about the climate for foreign mining investment in Zimbabwe? Um, Barry, I've I've lived now most of my life out of the country. As a as a mining professional, I've operated in lots of countries. So, mm-hmm. so that's that, that's probably the first point I should put across. That um, in the Arctic Circle, in the Panama Equatorial Band, in DRC Congo, there, there's a you've seen it all vast <laughs> range of of exposure, and each of those has a has a high technical difficulty that that our projects have had to overcome. So I think I'd like to put forward that whilst I've not operated in Zawabi, I've probably operated in harder places to operate Mm. and and been successful. And First Quantum is certainly a very capable organization. So um, I've been part of a very capable team and learned some strong capabilities. And I bring those, bring the understanding that whilst we're in Zimbabwe, we, we certainly know how to deliver a project of our size and risk. And then I think to to talk, talk more specifically about the country, I, I've definitely um, done a lot of due diligence on the business before I joined and, and was following the economic and political changes in the country over the last seven years. And it was evident that there's a strong period of disenfranchisation. You know, we saw mm-hmm. Mugabe really cutting... Um, cutting anyone at the knees, everyone at the knees. And, um, you know, the transition since then has been quite remarkable 
from our vantage point, you know, we've seen exactly how committed the government is to um, to reform and to actively recover from the position they're in. So they've stated some fairly ambitious and, and certainly very long-term goals to be a middle-income economy by 2030. And to achieve that, they've they've broken into each portfolio which division and which uh, sector must perform and grow to achieve that. And, and the mining sector represents the biggest growth in the decade ahead for Zimbabwe to underpin that transition into a middle-income economy. So they're placing a great emphasis on mining. They're placing an even stronger emphasis on the, shall we say, the strategic minerals, of which lithium is, is one. So they've clearly articulated what they're going to do. They've clearly articulated how they're going to do it. And from our perspective, they they are in motion delivering. Um, so so we have, have really experienced that at a grassroots level. We've seen our um, our, our project be entered into the, the projects of national significance, which allowed us to report progress and any impediments to progress to the office of the president. Consequently, we got all our permits reviewed. We got strong engagement with the agencies. We got um, the project to a position where it's it's fully fun, it's fully under definitive feasibility and it's fully permitted, allowing for it to be funded. And, and that was um, certainly gave us um, a great optic into exactly what the government of Zimbabwe is prepared to do. So we've we've really um, seen a, a strong government support. We've experienced it. The Ministry of Mines, our home ministry, the Honourable um, Minister Winston Chitando, he's an industrial, um, you know, he's, he's got strong industrial and, and executive experience. He is um, new to the political arena, but he has strong mining experience. And uh, and it's that experience that we gravitate towards because he understands what's required to fund a business, to develop a business and to operate a business. So we, we do feel we're in a good position in Zimbabwe. We speak about this frequently, but, but I think the pilot plant allows us to actively demonstrate the level of participation and engagement and support from government. So we're pretty looking forward to that. And mm. we hope that um, the market can see through the challenges of perception of risk and um, take more interest in the actual risks, which I, I believe we can manage quite easily. Mm. Okay. Um, <clears throat> finally, I guess the what is your the company's view on the lithium market from here in terms of pricing, demand, and, uh, you know, uh, Personalising it a bit, uh, the you know the the demand that uh, the world will need for projects like Arcadia to start the, feeding the EV revolution. Oh, Barry, um, <laughs> lots has been said about lithium, and um, for those that remember what was said in 2016, it's it's clearly a long-term trend, um, and this is this is something that that quite honestly isn't easily visualised here in Australia. I think our EV sales are still less than 1%. Yeah, not in my trade just yet. Yeah, whereas um, a short trip to Europe, which which hasn't been possible for a year, but going back two or three years, you'd, you'd see electric vehicles all around you. And mm. we're seeing massive green energy policies, very punitive for OEMs to, to continue to sell uh, combustion engines into those markets and very aggressive timelines to remove 
combustion engines from the roads in Europe and, and, and the UK. So our, I think, you know, our focus has been on Europe. Europe's got a very classic affiliation with Africa. Mm. We know they're comfortable with Africa, and particularly Zimbabwe. And we know they, they need um, product. Looking to their 20, 30 gigafactory plans, of which many are in progress, right? There's, there's, there's a huge amount in the public space around what's being mm. said, and importantly, what's being done. And Europe's going to need three times today's current production of lithium products just to meet its own 2030 goals. Yeah. So I think the next 10 years are going to be extremely challenging for the EV demand to, to be met by supply. And so that's a massive opportunity for, for producers and particularly the very near-term producers like Prospect Resources that are right on the cusp of, of finalizing their, um, their economics and bringing in that strategic funding that's required to get started. So we, we obviously feel we play a very fundamental role in, in the next generation of supply. Mm-hmm. But um, it's not missed on us that the volatility in the sector has been difficult for many producers and we take a lot of confidence from the fact that we are in the bottom quartile of producers as a cash operating cost. So Mm -hmm. very competitive producer, high quality products, low impurities. And uh, we feel the value proposition is is quite clear. Mm -hmm. Many investors have difficulty with the jurisdiction, but many can see that we will be successful in that jurisdiction. And we've definitely got the team and, um, you know, the team that that is required Mm. for, for our our projects. There we go, folks. uh, Currently undervalued yet advanced lithium developer in a country now intent on attracting uh, new mining investment. And if I can just mention, uh, if listeners get a chance, they should go and have a look at the the DFS, which is on the website, um, knowing that it's going to be optimised. But when you look at some of the figures in their average annual free cash flow from an unoptimised project of uh, US $101 million a year, you can see why the commentary around uh, the stock being undervalued is uh, is there. So with that, Sam, I'm going to say thanks for your time today. Good luck with it all, and we'll watch with interest. Thank you, Barry. Thanks for your time. Cheers.